0: Episode 52 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Today's episode is brought to you by Cadence Aviation. Cadence Aviation makes premier headsets at a great price. If you're into aviation and you're just getting started, check out Cadence Aviation. You will not be disappointed. Also, Aviation, check out AOPA for scholarships. The AOPA Foundation supports exceptional high school students, aspiring pilots, and current pilots each year with annual flight training scholarships of more than $1 million awarded through four programs. The last time to apply is April 2nd, and like I always say, you never know if you'll be getting the scholarship, so all Ways apply. You never know what might happen. What is going on, Aviation Nation, and welcome back to the Pilot to Pilot Podcast. My name is Justin, and I am your host. Today, I'm talking with Stan from Lavero Aviation. Some of the things Stan and I talk about in today's podcast are how Stan had zero interest in aviation as a kid, even though his dad was heavily involved in the aviation industry. We talk about how and why Stan took his very first intro flight, how Stan is very thankful his dad didn't push him into aviation, and he let aviation come to him. Why you have to love the process of becoming an airline pilot or even just becoming into the aviation industry as a whole. It's very much a delayed gratification industry and you have to put your time in and enjoy the process of becoming a pilot or involved in the aviation industry. How your first few hundred hours really mold you into the pilot you will become later in your career. We talk about general aviation as a whole in Canada and worldwide. How Stan learned quite quickly that he didn't want to be an Air Canada pilot and how he could still have a great career in aviation. How the aviation bug can be different for everyone, and how Stan went to Embry Riddle even though he didn't want to become a pilot. Aviation, I hope you guys really enjoyed today's episode. If you do, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check out our website, pilotthepilothq.com. Instagram at pilotthepilot. If you have any feedback or if you'd like to be featured on an episode, email me at pilotthepilothq@gmail.com. At And as always, please check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pilot to pilot. That's where you can find stickers, future keychains, and some other stuff that I have working on, and it also helps support the podcast and help me create the best content possible. Aviation without further ado, I don't want to waste any more of your time. Here's Stan.
1: My name is Stan Cullivus, and I'm the Vice President of Sales and Business Development at Levero Aviation. And amongst other things, we are the politest dealer in Canada.
0: Stan, what's going on, man? Thank you for coming on the Pilot the Pilot podcast. I look forward to talking with you today. Just looking forward to it, man. For sure. Now, we met, the first time we met was up in Oshkosh, and I was just kind of like, just wanted to see what the PC-24 looked like, and see the PC-12, and see how my old bay was doing since I got my new job.
1: Come on, man, that was a celebrity sighting for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm at Oshkosh at the Pilatus booth, and I, I have an aviation celebrity walk in, <laughs> uh, walk into
0: artist's display. Yeah, right, that's funny. I still wear that hat all the time that you gave me. I love that hat. Isn't that one of the coolest hats uh, out there? I need to make some pilot-to-pilot hats like that. I think that would do well. <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll take one of those and trade for sure. Sounds good, man. Well, uh, hey, yeah, let's go ahead and get started. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about why you got into aviation. How young were you when you knew that you wanted uh, to be involved in aviation or even flying itself?
1: I'll tell you what. My uh, my into aviation, I, I would say, is pretty different from most people out there. I... Most people that I either I work with or I talk to that are in the industry, you know, they they knew they wanted to be pilots. They knew they wanted to be around airplanes from a young age. They're little kids, and that's all they did is play around airplanes, have airplane toys, go to the airport, look at airplanes. It was the polar opposite for me. I had zero interest in airplanes as a kid. That's hilarious. It excited me literally zero. <laughs> uh, and what makes it even more odd is that my father uh has worked in aviation his entire career oh, wow. and so you know he it, it, i was surrounded by it i had no interest in it whatsoever you know my father would come back from some business trips and you know bring me a- little airplane toy or model or something and that's cool and i appreciated that but the fact that it was an airplane did nothing for me right <laughs> and, you know my my friends would come over uh my elementary school friends they'd come over and they'd you know they'd want to talk to my dad about airplanes they want to hang out with me and i'm like what's going on here <laughs> that's and, pretty funny. Uh, and so you know all my uh all the high school courses i took were pretty sort of hardcore science-based and in my head and sports injuries doctor is what i wanted to be and yeah. You know, I played a lot of sports growing up and unfortunately got injured a lot. And it was it was just interesting to me on um, what you know, how doctors did what they did. And I thought, you know what, this is what I'm doing. And so I started um, university up in Canada uh, doing that and pretty quickly realized that it wasn't for me. Um, I mean, I think that's one of the great things about college and university is, you know, not knowing necessarily what you do, what you're end career is going to be going into it. It's just going in and trying some stuff out. And for me, I was fortunate pretty quickly to realize that, you know what, maybe this hardcore science route is, is probably not the one for me Challenge is as a, you know, as an 18 year old kid at that point, you're going, well, well, what else do I do? This is all I've been thinking about. And so, you know, didn't do, uh, uh you know, I did a lot of soul searching, um, and, uh, had a conversation, had a lot of conversations with my parents and, you know, my father at one point said, why don't you just go to the local airport and take an intro flight there? See if you like it. Right. And, you know, and I, I to this day, anybody that asks me, I, I credit my father for me being in the aviation industry because he never ever pushed me into it. You know, you hear a lot of stories about parents pushing kids into something and then those kids not really like, you know, doing it, but not really liking it. They only doing it out of pressure. He never pushed me into it. Um, and I I think that's a huge reason why I, I, I am so passionate about it today. And so, you know, there's, there's one Saturday I woke up and it was a nice day out and, uh, I wasn't tired and uh, I, I took a taxi to the local airport and I walked into this flying club hangar that, you know, probably had seen some better days in World War II. But, you know, <laughs> it was it. then I walked up and I, you know, I went to the counter and said, I'd like to I'd like to do an intro flight. Yeah. He said, sure, fill out this form and give me a credit card and wait right there. <laughs> yeah, we'll swipe that card first before you yeah, go on any airplane. First, first right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. So you no, know, you fill out the forms, you walk out. This guy is giving you a, a walk around with this airplane that you're looking you're going, this thing flies. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was like a 19, I think it was a. Nineteen sixty-eight, uh, one seventy-two. Okay, and it's brand new. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know what? In flight training terms, that's a new airplane. You're right. brand airplane. You are right. And uh, you know, we do the walk around, and I'm starting to get a little bit excited, a little bit nervous, a little excited you know, I get into this tin can and I'm in the left seat and he's talking me through all kinds of stuff. And, you know, this is where your feet go. This is what the, you know, the rudder pedals do. And, you know, this is what the yoke does. Here's the, here's the, you know, the power and trim and I'll talk you through everything. Don't worry. I said, okay, okay. So we start the airplane and we start taxiing around a little bit, do a run up. And, you know, we position on the runway and he's like, all right, man, feet on the pedals. And, uh, You know, uh, let's go, you know, push the power in nice and easy. And I'll tell you when to pull back and let's go flying. And I thought, yeah, right. Easy as that, right? (laughs) And so we do start rolling down the it's like pull back, pull back, pull back. And, you know, people talk about when did they get bit by the bug? It was that moment right there for me when we had just lifted off and I looked to the left outside my window and I saw the shadow start forming under the main and I thought, wow. Yeah. I used a couple of different in my head, but I said, <laughs> wow. I'm in I the did air. That. I can fly. I, right. And I'm like, I did that. This is so cool. I need to do more of this. Yeah. You know, and it was awesome. It was fun. And right away, like there was no doubt in my mind, this is what I was doing. And, And immediately, I mean, all thoughts swirling in my head. I'm like, all right, I am at the time. I said, I'm going to become a senior captain at Air Canada. I'm going to fly the heavies. I'm going to make so much money. (laughs) Everyone's going to love me. They're all going to want to be like me. Yeah, yeah, come on. (laughs) And so, and that's where it started.
0: That's awesome. I liked how you said earlier that your dad didn't really push aviation on you because my dad's an airline pilot. He flies for American Airlines and he never once pushed aviation on me. He was always, you know, kind of do whatever you want to do. I was highly involved with sports, so it sounds like you were too. I thought I was going to go pro in the NFL, maybe baseball, whatever. Just I was all about sports and I never once thought about aviation. Like I was, he was a pilot, would come and speak to our show and tells. He'd take us on field trips before 9-11 when you can go to the airport with all your class and aviation was just like, and eh, didn't really care. Didn't care about planes. Didn't care about anything. And it wasn't until I found out on my own that I wasn't going pro because I wasn't good enough. <laughs> but it wasn't until then that I figured out that aviation was what I actually wanted to do. And I'm glad I did because I didn't know what else I could do. Business was boring to me. Kind of all that other kind of stuff was really boring to me. All the classes I took at Ohio State. So if it wasn't for my dad or my grandpa being in aviation, I wouldn't have even thought about that kind of job aspect and that possibility
1: of a career. I mean it's funny how stuff comes together and look in the sports side I mean you, you played at a much higher level than I did I mean it's uh, you know I, I coached college basketball but oh, cool. uh, I mean you you played college football and you know had the opportunity to at least have that conversation of going pro I think my, my uh, uh, odds of going pro sort of kind of went to zero after the eighth grade
0: (laughs) yeah my uh uh, i think mine did too i just didn't realize it (laughs) once i got to college and i saw the quarterbacks in front of me i was like yeah no i'm good it's like that's not that's not a thing (laughs) there go my million dollars have to find another way to make it (laughs) airline pilot yeah right airline pilot did you go flying as a kid with your dad no never um let's see never flew in a small plane never went to a small airport with him really the, after September 11th, the week after September 11th, we, we he took me on a trip of his. That's probably the first time I was on a plane that he was flying. So, I mean, travel baseball, basketball, and playing football, kind of life gets in the way. And yeah. I think he didn't want to shove it down my throat because... Like you said earlier, that's gonna get you're gonna get burned out really fast. Happened to me with other sports. I I was forced into playing baseball. I hated baseball, I got burnt out and I wanted to quit. Yeah. And aviation's tough. I mean, you gotta want to do this. You can't just be out here kinda thinking it's gonna be the perfect aviation or the perfect career choice or the perfect lifestyle because you're really gonna wanna have to love it. Cause I mean, like you said, you were gonna be an Air Canada pilot, you're gonna fly the heavies, you're gonna be super rich. But that wouldn't even happen until your last five years of flying and yeah. aviation. So, I mean, it, it's a, definitely a process. So the love has to be there and I'm very thankful that he didn't force it on me because who knows what I'd be doing right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, and I think you hit it right on the head there. It's, it's about loving the process. I don't think you, you know, I, I don't think you can get into it for an end game into anything that you do. I think you got to love the process of what you do, right? Because what you think you're going to do on day zero and what you end up doing along the way, man oh man, aren't aren't those different? Exactly. A hundred percent different. And I think it's just like um you asked Tom Brady, you asked
0: Drew Brees, you know, my my who I compare this to would be football because that's the sport I played the most, but they love the process. They love Mondays. They love Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays. They love the process before the big game. And your big game is going to be you flying for the airlines, you flying for a regional, you doing whatever you want to do in your life. But you need to prepare yourself for that and you need to sacrifice and you need to do the necessary steps to be the best pilot you are now because your first 100, 200 hours, that's where you're going to really mold yourself into the pilot you're going to be and how you react to the emergencies down the line. Because, I mean, there are going to be emergencies. It's an an airplane, it's a mechanical, it's an engine, a lot of moving parts, something's going to (laughs) break. It's a 10K in the air. Yeah, it's it's not all going to go perfect. (laughs) I've had two emergencies in my short career. So, I mean, it's going to happen and how you react and what you learn in those first couple hundred hours are really going to shape who you're going to be as a pilot. So, I don't know how we started talking about that, but (laughs) yeah, you really need to prepare yourself in that. Um, What was I say? You were, so yeah, you're from Canada. So, I've talked to one other Canadian pilot, Jeffrey the pilot. And he kind of touched a little bit on the process of becoming a pilot in Canada and the differences, but he never really touched on general aviation in itself. Is general aviation in Canada as strong of a community as it is in the U.S., or is it not the same? What kind of what's the differences or what's the similarities in the two?
1: I mean, I'll, I'll go so far as to say that general aviation in the world is a strong community. I mean, okay. globally, like you think about it, you meet somebody anywhere. And Nate, you know, you're at some cocktail party, or wherever you are, you're at a Halloween thing, and all of a sudden somebody tells you you're a pilot. And guess what? You're not talking to anyone else that night. Right. You're, you're talking to that person, and you guys are swapping stories. <laughs> I, I, it's stories. one of those. Wow, there you go. It's, it's one of those things. I, I I think, um, one sort of more generally speaking, being in the aviation industry, uh, if you work in it, uh, and then just micro down from that, if, um, you know, if you're a pilot or if you are a professional pilot, I, I think those are almost like fraternities. You know, I think that there's this common sort of love for one another and common respect, um, when you're in that environment and we have that in Canada, no question. Um, the reality is just we have just so many less people and less airplanes and less pilots in our country than, you know, than you do. So the number, uh, the scale is different, but the the sense of community certainly is not. I mean, we'll I'll, I'll go to some of my local airports, you know, smaller airports uh, around where I live or you know, around Ontario and on a Saturday, I mean, I love going and having breakfast at an airport, you know, at a small airport. Like you go, you wake up early in the morning, even if I'm not going to go flying that day, you know, you go there and just, you have you go have your bacon and eggs and breakfast sandwich <laughs> and and just listen to stories yeah. because there's always those old pilots hanging around you know talking whether it's war stories whether it's you know commercial airlines back in the day where all the cool different stuff they flew and they are happy to have you listen to them and right. to all their stories they're happy to share and they're really happy to provide advice I mean I, I in all of my experience I've seen anytime that you ask anyone for help in that GA community people are so willing to help and it's it's such a nice thing
0: yeah no it is it's funny he's talking about the war stories and the guys <clears throat> uh, from the guys that flew in war. I'm sure those stories have been embellished a couple times from from what actually happened, but <laughs> you know how things go throughout the years, but it is, it it's is like interesting. Fish. It's like
1: fishing, right? Yeah, it's like it's
0: fishing. Like fishing. The fish was so big. It's like, was it?
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll no. tell you what, though. Anytime anyone's flown in the war, I mean, uh, I, I, I got nothing to say against that.
0: 100%. I'll believe 100 uh, everything they say, and I'll be sitting on the edge of my seat waiting for the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's please. awesome. Yeah. I mean, I have flown to a couple small airports in Canada. The smallest one was Medicine Hat near Calgary. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if that's like a, a prominent airport or like a popular place to go, but we took a businessman out to Medicine Hat and I was kind of like, oh, cool. I'm in Medicine Hat,
1: Canada. Who would have ever thought I'd end up here? Come on. We have Medicine Hat, Moose Jaw, Moose Factory. <laughs> like we, we got the best names up here. That's
0: hilarious. Yeah. I would love to go to Moose Jaw Airport. Yeah, I don't know. You what, Montana yeah. might rival you though. There's one airport there called Anaconda, Montana. So I mean... <laughs> You got some rivalries <laughs> out, up in the uh, north part of the US too. it, love it. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's talk about your training. You're, uh, so you took that intro flight and you said you got the bug. Well, the bug can be different for a lot of people. It can be kind of what you said, how you want to be an Air Canada pilot. Did you end up going further down that road or did you get your private and then stop? Or kind of what was the process for you to lead to where you are today? <sighs>
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a great point that it's different for everyone. You know, for me, it was, I, I was full on focused to here I go, you know, I'm a uh, private license commercial, you know, everything. Let's go and an airline pilot. What do I need to do to become an airline pilot? And mm-hmm. that, that was the track that I was on. Um, and I would say, uh, Quite quickly. I would say within the first month or two of my flight training, I mean, look, the first month you're so excited. You're just, you can't wait to be in the airplane in the air. And that's all I'm thinking about, right? It's just, it consumes me. I'm, I'm at home. I'm at my college house, hanging out with buddy. All I can think about is when is the next time I get to go flying again? And, um, I would say probably within the first month or two, uh, there were a couple weekend, you know, happened the first time I didn't think much about it. And then. There a couple weekends that popped up where the weather was beautiful. It was perfect weather flying, uh, perfect weather to fly, and I just didn't want to go. Hmm. I, I I didn't want to go. <laughs> That's that a red day. flag, <laughs> right? And, <laughs> yeah. and it's and I'll tell you what. It's not because I didn't like airplanes at right. this point. It's not because I didn't love flying at this point. I just didn't want to go for some reason that day, and I thought, hmm. I wonder, I wonder what this means. And, uh, I, I fairly fortunately, fairly quickly figured out that I want to fly when I want to fly. I don't want on a fly every day because I have to, right. I want to fly because I want to. And to me, that was right there. That was the, I mean, you call it a red flag. I, I call it, I mean, I was so happy to figure that out is I'm probably not made to be a professional pilot if that's the case, you know, because as you know, I mean, and you can explain better than anyone is, you know, y- your schedule is not yours. No, you know, y- no, no. you are, you are, you know, if it's an airline, it's, it's a little bit more structured and dictated and, you know, you are flying corporate, you're, you're at the whim of, you know, your uh, employer on any given day or, or your aircraft owner, et cetera. And so I, I just, I figured out that, flying uh as a career is probably not what i want to do except i said there's no way i'm giving up on my flight training because i love this like i still want to do this and so then i get i got to that sort of a bit of a roadblock of okay well i i was so fired up about this and i thought that this is what i was doing what now (laughs) you know because in my head it's you're in aviation you're a pilot or You're not, right? You know, what else is there to do in aviation? And so, again, I credit my father for this. You know, when we had some some long conversations about the the different, uh, you know, avenues within aviation. And, um, and, and he said, and I, you know, I said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in the science program still. I'm taking a bunch of business courses. I love now my business courses that I'm taking. I'd never taken business classes before, but I'm taking these classes and it's really, really interesting to me. And so I said, well, what do I do? How do I combine this stuff? I I'm, I'm really still into to airplanes and aviation, Um, And I'm liking these new business courses I'm taking. I don't know what to do. And he said, well, why don't you go check out online, check out the school called Embry-Riddle? And uh, he said they might have something, you know, sort of up your alley. By the way, that's where I went to college. (laughs) I could not believe up to that point. I I mean, I, I think we probably had a conversation or two along the way. But I never really had sort of that conversation that I can remember of I know where my dad went to college.
0: That's hilarious. Oh, by Which the
1: is, way, I went to Embryville. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> by, by the way, right? Yeah, cool. <laughs> and, oh, by the way, I played on the school soccer team there. But, yeah. you know, it's, 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 you know I, I didn't know any of this stuff. I mean, and maybe I did, but it just it, it didn't resonate with me. And um, and so I said, okay. And, you know, I jumped online and started checking out programs there. And, and sure enough, pretty quickly, I found there – uh, uh, bachelor of science, uh, business of aviation business. And like that just jumped out at me. It spoke to me and thought, man, this, this combines both passions that I now have. Um, and this is what I need to do. And, uh, you know, it's it wasn't an easy decision. One, you know, I was going to leave the school where I was at, um, you know, and, and friends I'd made along the way. And then two, I mean, it's it's not a small financial commitment. And uh, so I was, I was very fortunate to have the support um, of my parents in every way that they could. And, uh, you know, I took a bunch of online classes initially uh, through Embry-Riddle, which was phenomenal you know their online program is great and so i got to catch up on a lot of the um you know sort of introductory aviation type of courses uh that i needed to take as part of prerequisites for a degree from that school uh and so i got to do those from home online uh and then uh i spent uh a school year down there which campus daytona beach okay um and so uh I spent a you know, a school year down there, uh, finishing my undergrad degree. What was that like? Oh, it's going to school in Florida and the, in the beautiful weather. What was yeah. that like? Oh yeah. I, get, I forgot uh, you're from Canada. So yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> it's a big yeah. difference. <laughs> it's a little bit of a difference. I, I'll yeah. tell you what it was. Um, I mean, I loved it. It was, uh, I mean, weather aside, I mean, that speaks for itself, but it was, if you're, I, I mean, I tell people now that. I'm quite involved with the alumni um, department there. And then especially with the athletics. And I mean, that's a whole other conversation that I'm happy to get into if we Mm -hmm. want, but I, uh, you know, that, that school was, what did a lot of good for me. And, um, you know, I tell people, you know, if you're into hotel and restaurant management, it's probably the worst school on the planet to go to, (laughs) you know, but if you're into anything aviation related, I challenge you to find, um, you know, an environment that is so immersive into that subject area. Um, You know, just walking around campus, everything is, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're in a psychology course, if you're in engineering, if you're in business, et cetera everything has an aviation spin to it. Um, you know, and it's, it, it's, it's fascinating to see so many people in, in one campus that are generally speaking all into the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's pretty motivating. to Would be you say honest. it
0: is worth the cost of Embry Riddle? Cause I know Embry Riddle is ridiculously expensive. And if you're not going to be a pilot, is it still just as expensive or is it a little bit
1: more affordable? Uh, it's certainly less expensive if you're not going to be a pilot. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have the figures, but I'd say it's almost half the cost of what a pilot. So it's uh, would more like a normal school then? Uh, still a way? private, okay. still a private school. Um, so, so really you're going <laughs> to, you're still paying private, yeah. you know, uh, university college fees. Um, I can answer for myself. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was absolutely worth the investment, um, into myself and into my education. No question. I would absolutely do it over again. Cool.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I've had, I think I've had one person on here that went to Riddle. We didn't really go too much into it. I think they went there to be a pilot. But yeah, I mean, Riddle is definitely an option. Like we said, it is an expensive option. But if you want to be surrounded by aviation, if you know you want to be in aviation, it's like you said, they have every single class you could ever imagine. All the classes that any normal university would have, but they spin it toward aviation. So if you want to be in aviation and you want to see everything that you can do in aviation, then Riddle is maybe the place for you. If you, I went to Ohio state and we had very select classes that are about aviation. I mean, we still had business aviation. We had aviation communications. We had all the, you know, the normal aviation classes, but riddle, I'm sure it's just 10 times the amount of aviation classes you could take.
1: I mean, where, where most, um, universities and colleges have an aviation department. Yeah. Th- that entire school is the aviation department, you know, it's, it's, I mean, but look, Ohio states, the Purdue, I mean, all, you know, the North Dakotas that's, yeah. you know, they they've got legit aviation programs. Damn. There's nothing wrong with those either. No, there's not. When I was at
0: Ohio State, though, it was not good. Uh, the president okay. there wanted to get rid of the, the department. We used to have an aviation building. They tore it down to build an engineering building. And then mm-hmm. Ohio State is one of the only schools, I think there's one other school that owns and operates their own airport. And they try to get shut down the airport, but they quickly realized that once the FAA puts some money into it, you can't shut down an airport. So right. they, un- or unfortunately for them, which they wanted to shut it down, they were forced to keep it open and they had either we'll just ride this out until we can shut it down or we can invest some money into it and we can really go forward and thankfully they decided to invest some money into it and now it is it's it's right up there with the the bigger schools you know it's up there with the the, i always want to say notre dame with the north dakotas (laughs) with with all those schools so it's definitely a school that is an option to go to but it was definitely in a different place when i was there Yeah, yeah, no, we had different <laughs> yeah, priorities. Yeah, right? yeah, way different priorities. I mean, I had different priorities then too. I wasn't there for necessarily my education either at the time. I was there because I wanted to play football, but it was still, it's, it's a lot better now and I really like where it's going. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily in Brew Riddle, but it is another option that you have there.
1: I, I mean, look, it. Again, Embry-Riddle is not the only option out there for sure. I mean, it was the option that was the 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 right one for me. Yeah. But, you know, like you said, the Ohio States, the UNDs, I mean, those, those, those are all really, really good schools. For sure. So you are now at Embry-Riddle. You have realized that you
0: don't want to be an Air Canada heavy pilot making millions of dollars. What was kind of the next step? What did you – how long – you said you were at Embry-Riddle for a year before you could finish your degree. What was after your degree? What did you do next? What kind of jobs did you get into? What were you looking for? Uh, here
1: I'll, I'll throw you a wrench now. And now, now it gets interesting. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so so I'm at Embry-Riddle. Uh, it's in my first couple weeks, I would say, of being there, late August. And, um, you know, I mentioned basketball was always a big part of my life growing up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to, to play in, in, in Canada and in, in the U.S. In tournaments and tournaments and even go to Europe to play a little bit, you know, when I was younger. And so it just – it was a huge part of me um, and my – my life up to that point. And I had always in my head had the goal of, I, I, I wanted to be a college basketball coach. It was just on the sort of the bucket list of things almost. Yeah. And, you know, I knew that I wanted to do it, but I, I hadn't thought too, too much about it. And, and um, surprisingly to most people, Embry-Riddle has uh, an exceptional athletics department. It's uh, exceptional facility, on what level? <laughs> so facilities wise, yeah. If you two are there, I'm telling you, it is better than most division one. I'm not talking about the, the Ohio states, the Kentucky's, right, right. the North Carolinas, but most people don't, when they hear division one, people hear, you know, the people, they think that it's, you know, glitz and glam and fantastic. I mean, you go to some of those division one, lower division one school facilities. And I mean, you're, you're thinking that you're playing out of high school gyms. Right. It's, it's nothing to, you know, to write home about. The facilities at Embry Riddle are phenomenal. Um, basketball, gym, and and baseball, and softball, and track, and tennis there, it rivals, I would say, the vast majority of Division I schools from okay. a facility standpoint. Oh, yeah, it's phenomenal. If you haven't seen it, it's worth the tour. Um, and then from a program standpoint, you know, I was specifically focused on basketball. And uh, a few years before I was there, I'm dating myself a little bit, but a few years before I was there, they had won um, a national championship. Oh, cool. And so, um, you know, I went to, to go speak to, to the head coach, coach Ritter and, um, and you know, I shared with him my my desire to to learn really more than anything else. And I just I wanted to hang around practices, you know, and I wanted to I, I started coaching back home in Canada. I started mm-hmm. coaching kids and I I found that I, I really enjoyed it and I I wanted to get better. Um, and, and so I just I was hoping to hang around a little bit and just learn, you know, from a successful college coach. And and fortunately he's one of those guys that, you know, when he sees passion in people, he just he's that fuel to the fire, you know. He and he said, Absolutely come come hang out at practice and uh to make a long story short that hanging out at practice turned into helping them out a little bit here and there with some some stats and then some practice stuff and then eventually turned into myself joining their coaching staff that year and so I was um an assistant on the staff for 3 years oh dang and it was a phenomenal experience um, learned a ton, you know, as a person, as a basketball coach and, and made some, you know, lifelong friendships. Uh, so that was sort of, you know, what I initially went down there was, you know, I, I'm here and I'm studying aviation and I'm going to go to practice when it fits my, my class schedule. That sort of very quickly became, I can go to class when it fits my basketball <laughs> schedule. <laughs> but, yep. Uh, I mean, you know how that works. Yeah. And so. We don't have to get into that too much more, but uh, <laughs> no, we're good. <laughs> no, it's, you know, it's one of those things where I was, you know, I, I, I don't, I re, I say it sort of jokingly. It's not one of those things where I was you know slacking or dropping at school. It just, you know, I, I found a way to balance both and I was really fortunate to be able to do both of those things in, in one place. Um, and so I'd finished my undergrad in that first year. And then, um, had the opportunity to stay on staff after that first year. And so I, I started into my MBA, uh, in aviation at Embry-Riddle. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that I did for those two years there. And, um, and a little bit after it's not something I eventually ended up finishing, just, you know, work started becoming my full-time job. And, you know, in that time, sort of I've, I think I've, I've sort of attained three r- real world MBA type of things, if I can put it that way. It's, it's a bit of a regret of mine that I didn't finish the. Yeah the paper version of it, but you know, it's one of those things that just wasn't part of my life plan, I guess. (laughs) And, uh, but you know what? So that was sort of my next forest. That was my next, you know, job per se, um, you know, getting paid in clothes and chicken fingers and all that kind of stuff. And so, but I, I mean, I was just happy to be there and learn and be around and and just soak it all in. And so that was my next step. Um, you know, Florida wise. And then after Florida, I, I go back home to Canada and you let me know when when we want to talk about that. Let's go. Let's move to Canada. So we're in Canada now. What's up now? I I leave, you know, I leave the Florida weather and I come back to Toronto and terrible decision. It is. (laughs) Well, it's a beautiful city, which happens to be, um, getting the worst winter on record. And I'm thinking, what in the world did I just do here? What year was that? Oh man, that was Oh six. Okay. And, uh, and so I leave the beach for snow up to my waist. Like, come on, like you're a dummy. What are you doing? Yeah. Florida sounds great right now. Yeah. And so, you know, I come home and I'm, I'm helping coach my, my high school basketball team. I, you know, my former coaches um, knew that I was back. And, and so I got involved with that and that was a lot of fun. And, and then sort of that first phone call comes along uh job wise and um the uh, a fractional ownership company up here in Canada uh heard that you know I'd finished uh Riddle and I was back and you know potentially looking for jobs and and so they reached out and, and we had a bunch of conversations and one thing, you know, sort of led to another and ended up being hired as I, I don't even know what my title was in the beginning, but it was <laughs> junior, junior, junior coffee guy, you know, type. <laughs> thing. it was, I mean, joking aside, it was a very junior sales role. Um, that fractional company had, uh, of all things, PC-12s and Citation Excels. Okay, And, and so that was my first first foray into aviation as a career i was now i was based in toronto um uh, reporting to our the president of the company who was you know based in in kitchener about an hour away in the kitchen and, okay yeah I Picked up freight and, there. <laughs> there you go and so that's a bit of that area is a bit of our tech triangle and so um you know, my job was to basically to, to prospect, to lead generate and to, you know, find new fractional owners, um, in, in Eastern Canada. And, um, I, I to this day, if anybody asks me, I am, I, I give those guys so much credit for hiring, you know, a kid out of school that was green and had absolutely no experience in aviation, you know, into a sales role and very, very quickly through. Putting a lot of responsibility on me, yeah. I think that that's a huge um, reason why I was able to grow my career is the the trust that they put into me, and I am just uh, I am so so thankful for the opportunity to this day that they provided um, provided me with, and so and that so that started my first you know steps into aviation as a career
0: what was so you got your first job in aviation kind of i'm i i have not had a sales job in aviation so what did that entail what was your day like your week like what did you do
1: i mean when i started i don't know <laughs> i don't i don't know what i'm supposed to do right all i know is i'm supposed to sell fractions of airplanes Yeah, what's a fraction yeah, yeah. oh like <laughs> all, right. all right so i mean i'll tell you what it was initially it was um soaking in as much as I could. Right. About the company, the concept of fractional ownership, the airplanes that we're offering, um, you know, as part of that model. And and it's not the, it, it's less the, how does this airplane fly and talk about the avionics and how those work. Um, but I'll tell you what, having a pilot's license was invaluable. Right. I mean, that, that helped a ton, credibility-wise. Being able to speak—not that, that I could fly an Excel or a PC twelve, but being able to relate a little bit. I mean, most fractional owners, as as you know, are—they get in and they turn right. They don't get in and turn left. Right. They're, that airplane is their flying boardroom it's or they're tool. flying. Yeah. yeah, it's a business tool or it's a family tool. Yeah. One or the other. You know, and and very rarely are they pilots. And so having a pilot's license absolutely helped. Um, and initially for me, it was, you know, soak in the knowledge, um, learn as much as I can, especially in that first year, don't pretend that I'm an expert or know a lot of stuff. And then eventually try and get in front of some people. And, you know, and then it's the, how do I prospect? Where do I prospect? How do I then get in front of these people? How do I get a meeting with these, you know, fortune 50 CEOs, (laughs) you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm a kid, right? Like I'm, I don't know, I'm 26 years old at the time. And so, um, how do I do that? And so that was, it was a huge learning experience and, and oh, by the way, very shortly after my starting at the company, our president moves back out West to Calgary. So (laughs) yeah. So, I mean, look from, from a support standpoint, the support is all still there. I just physically become the one salesperson in that area, oh, perfect. And so it's <laughs> no, yeah, it's no longer. Hey, you're you're helping me and lead generating this type of stuff. It's you got to go from you know from from zero to close with all of these prospects and customers. And right. so, how do I do that? I mean, and to me again, it was learning. It was I mean, I was reading every every little sales thing I could, you know. And I, I, I struggled. To me, I couldn't even tell you what those books or articles or anything those are called right now, but. Just conceptually, I was trying to soak in as much information, as many different ideas as I could at the time, um, you know, and just kind of trying to put in the work and, and for lack of a better term, pay my dues, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing I've noticed, and this is the advice I offer to people that are, are starting in the industry now, whether it's a pilot job, whether it's a sales job or an engineering role, whatever it is, in the beginning, don't be afraid to work and pay your dues. Your contract is going to say you have a 40 hour a week job or whatever it is. Don't pretend like, you know, if you want to get good at what you're doing, you're, you can't work that, um, that minimum. Yeah, so you have put to put in the bare minimum. You got to put in more, way more. Yeah. If you want to be successful, look, there are people that want to punch a clock and I, I'm not here to judge that. I'm, I'm the furthest thing from being able to in a position to judge anyone. If you want to punch a clock and that's, it's just a means to an end, so be it. But if you, if you want to get really good at what you do, if you want to be a subject matter expert or operational expert, you got to put in more than the bare minimum. And that's, I, you know, I'm fortunate to have mentors around me that kept reinforcing that to me. Um, and so that's what I did, you know, and I, I just try to learn as much as I can. I, I still try and learn as much as I can. I don't pretend to be an expert in any way right now. But early on, I was I was doing a lot of that, and uh, yeah, and so I ended up uh, working in the fractional world for for five years. Oh, damn.
0: I think it's and cool sorry. that you said that you like to, to keep learning because I think that even if you are in in aviation or if you are just whatever you're doing in your, in your career, it doesn't have to be aviation based. It's just always try to learn, always try to learn something new because if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. That's what they always told us in football. It's either eating, you're you're either taking a step forward or you're taking a step back. There's no maintaining. There's no staying in the middle. It's either one yep. or the other. And someone else is out there putting in the work. And this whole thing is all on you, life, aviation, sports, whatever. It's all on you. You put in the amount of work and then you will get all that results back based on how much you put in. So don't go crying to anyone else when someone else might get this regional job before you did when you started your training at the same time because they busted their butt to get all the training done. It all comes down to you and how much effort and work you're going to put into it. So I really like that you said that because you always got to keep learning. You always got to keep working, put in more than you need to put in and
1: continually show up. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, and to your point, it even if you're in aviation all your learning doesn't need to be all in the aviation space i think it's all just continually challenging yourself right and and broadening your, your mind and your knowledge and understanding of all kinds of different stuff. I mean, it, it, it all contributes in the end. Oh, for
0: sure. And one thing too is once you try new things, it's like when I first did the podcast after I did my first four and I had probably 60 people listen to it. And I was like, well, this sucks. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I can either give up now and not continue because no one's listening. And it felt like no one would ever listen to this. Or I could continue to put in the work and continue to release some content and just continue to work hard because eventually you're going to build your your followers and your listeners, and you're going to build kind of a a community in itself. And I'm glad that I did because now here we are today talking to you and talking to some other cool people. So, but continue to put in the work. Don't give up when the initial and immediate results aren't where you want them to be because that's just impossible. It's it's very, very few people become the number one listen to podcast. I'm not nearly up there, nowhere near close, but you got to continue to put in the work to where you want to be and everything else will follow through.
1: So, I got a question for you. What's up? How how long did it take you before you hit a bit of a critical mass with your listeners?
0: Um, It probably took six months. So, I started doing it in February and I didn't really take it serious until six months. And my first big break was stabilizer motion and the drizzle. And then once I got to interview those two, then Pilot Maria found my podcast and she started playing it. And funny enough, I was actually in China when she was listening to my podcast and gave me all these shout outs. So I had no cellular service to, (laughs) or I had no access to wifi to access it and kind of capitalize on it. So I was just sitting there just like, oh crap, I got back two weeks after my trip or after my trip, I was in China for two weeks and I was like, oh dang, that's cool. And I was like, wait, I can't capitalize on this at all. But it was was probably about six months afterwards when I started getting some uh, recognition and some followers and some... I don't know, reviews on iTunes and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, no, good for you, man. It's, it's, look, you talk about not being, you know, in that, the top 10 or whatever podcast. I mean, I, look, there's, I I think striving for, for that is, it's part of that process, right? I mean, you're, you're continually striving to be better, but I think in the end, it's all about providing value. Agreed. You know, and, you know, and and whether that viewership is, is 60,000 or 60, if you're providing value to people and you're enjoying the process of what you're doing, man, you're winning. Like that's, you know, if, if your goal is, is to be number one, I mean, in striving to be number one and provide value along the way, I mean, you tell me what you're doing wrong. I mean, that's.
0: No, I completely agree. You, you can, and the cool thing about the, how the way the social media is, the internet is, is that you can, pro- everyone can provide value. Everyone has a platform. Everyone can kind of voice their opinions. And I encourage everyone to do that, to make themselves vulnerable, to put themselves out there, because that's when you truly start growing. That's when you truly start kind of, Really reaching the goals that you want to reach is when you make yourself vulnerable when you kind of put yourself out there and just say the things that you might not think that anyone wants to hear but you actually might be helping someone out no doubt
1: i think that's uh that's a really great way to look at it
0: yeah man well let's go ahead and continue the back to the aviation side and uh we, so you're at i always pronounce it wrong lavero you got him in Lavero Aviation. Uh, you yep. are now at Lavero Aviation, where you are a Pilatus dealer. Let's talk about that and kind of how you were able to connect with Pilatus, why Pilatus, and kind of just talk about your journey there.
1: So, you know, as I mentioned at my fractional um, company, Air Sprint, where I worked for five years, uh, being around the PC-12 um, for those five years, the the Pilatus dealer then it wasn't called Lavero at the time. We've rebranded to Levero in the last several years, but, um, you know, they gave me a ring and, and said, Hey, you know, we're looking for somebody to come run, uh, aircraft sales for us. And, you know, for me, um, working in fractional was absolutely the right thing to do at the time. And I, I still have a real soft spot for it because I think it's a, it's a really, um, cool offering that, um, benefits a, a, a huge segment uh, of the population. And so I think that concept is absolutely here to stay. For me personally speaking, uh, my goal was to always to get into whole aircraft sales. The And the amount of, you know, an experience and knowledge that I took out of fractional, you know, I, in my mind, I was going to use that as a stepping stone, you know, to get to, to whole aircraft sales. And that opportunity presented itself, um, through what's now Levero and they said, Hey, why don't you come be our, our sales guy, uh, in all of Canada and you'll sell whole PC-12s now and throughout the entire country and not, so not fractions in a territory but whole airplanes in the entire country. And I'll be honest, you know, you get after five years, you either hate a place or you love a place, right? You're, you're, okay. you know, it's, it's one of those things. And, and I, it was a really tough time for me to leave um, where I was because I love the people. I love their customers. I, I I'm I was truly uh, uh, passionate about the offering that we were providing and the value we were providing to people. And it was fun. And so it was really hard. And, but I, I, I did, I took the leap and I jumped and, you know, it was a job that allowed me to home base still in Toronto, which, you know, that was a big contributing factor. And, uh, you know, in the early stages, I'm not going to lie. And I mean, I, and I share this with, you know, with our, our shareholders and my current company today still, I mean, in those first couple months for me, I mean, there, there were. A few days every week where I thought, am I doing the right thing? Yeah. Not because I didn't like where I now was. I mean, I I, I love doing the, the new stuff and I love the new challenge and the, you know, the different customers and all that. Just when you get comfortable somewhere and you really liked it and you make it, a change is hard, right? You know, change is hard, whether you're moving homes or whatever you're right. doing, change, Changes change hard, is hard. But sometimes necessary. Hey, you're right. You know, and and for me, it was the right thing. Um, but, you know, it just it takes a little bit. You know, some people that, you know, right away, they don't look back. And for me, it's, you know, it took a little longer to not look back. Um, but, you know, I've now been here. I looked I'm on my LinkedIn. It popped up. I've been here. I think officially my start date was. I mean, I was hired in January. Well, it ended up sort of being January, but I I took a little time to actually for some education um, stuff for, for another master's degree at the time. So I think I ended up starting either end of January or beginning of February. And so I've been here eight years. Thanks. Get it. Right. And so, you know, it, and, and it flew by. And, and I talked with our shareholders about that. I mean, it's, they were a little bit surprised I've been here eight years, you know, that, that it's been eight years already. And I had no idea it was eight years. And, and it's been, it's been awesome. It's been that next step in my professional and personal development. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a whole different set of challenges. I say that in a positive way um you know a whole different set of uh issues to sort of resolve on a daily basis a whole uh, you know a whole different value offering to provide to people uh and it's been great and and I've throughout my entire aviation career I have been with the Pilatus PC12 since day one. That's awesome. What a great plane to
0: be associated with since day one. Tell me a little bit about the Pilatus and what you like about it. Cause I mean, obviously my followers know that I used to fly the Baylatus and I love the Pilatus. Flew the third, the sixth and the 10th oldest ones, I believe, ever made. So we flew the old school ones. You know, they're very tight or very heavy on the controls when you're going fast and you're low. It was kind of a, it was a great plane, but I'm sure they've just improved now, which I would love to fly a new one eventually. But tell me kind of what, why, why you're attracted to the Pilatus this and the mission of the Pilatus and why you love it.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, we got to get you into a, a brand new NG because, uh, you know, while, while I'm, I'm not checked out on one, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to sit in the right seat, um, you know, from time to time and, and actually done some pretty interesting trips with one and it's, they're, they're a pleasure to fly in a low time pilot like me. Can feel very comfortable in that cockpit. Um, you know, as you know, I mean, it's, a, it's an airplane that was designed to be uh, a single pilot flown airplane and operated unsupported in the field. So it's, it's pretty unique in that sense. Um, it's, you know, it's uh, unlike some of uh, the airplanes that people would deem competitive to it. It's not something that's, you know, an iteration or, um, I don't know, I don't want to say a band-aid sort of fix too, but it's, you know, it's not a 1950s and 1960s design that's just been sort of tweaked, tweaked, tweaked. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a net new airplane that came to the market in the sort of early to mid-90s, you know. So you talk about fuel efficiency, you talk about aerodynamics, you talk about, you know, um, safety, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's... it's it's a modern airplane. Yeah. Um, as compared to some of those that it gets compared to. And so, look, I, I will, there is no bad airplane out there. Every airplane is a good airplane out there and it's the right Except airplane for, payage, for someone. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm not here to talk bad about any airplane. Every I'm airplane is the, yeah. is the right. I mean, listen, you're, you're not the first one to tell me that, yeah. but every airplane is the right airplane for someone. Um, and the PC 12 isn't the right airplane for everyone, but it, it, it's versatility and it's, it's mission flexibility makes it the right airplane for a lot of people. Yeah.
0: I would agree. I would agree a hundred percent. What do you kind of see the competition coming now as Cessna has essentially made an identical copy to the PC 12? I think they claim maybe it can go 20 knots faster, 10 miles longer, all that nonsense,
1: but it is essentially the same plane, is it not? Uh, my, None of my education is in the engineering world, and so to speak to you know any uh, possibility for a, a very similar airframe to be dramatically different. I mean, uh, you know, professionally speaking, yeah. I can't tell you that it's possible or not possible. Right. Um, I I think what it does is in in them making that airplane. I I think it's the ultimate compliment to the Pilatus PC-12. I would agree. That You know, that, hey, we recognize that you have become the world leader in this segment and we want to make something like it. And look, that manufacturer has been around also a long time and they make good airplanes and they're going to make a good airplane. I'm surprised Uh, that they waited so long to let Pilatus get such a market
0: share on it. Because it was very early on. People knew this was going to be a pretty big hit.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I can't I can't speak to their strategy, but it's look, they're it, they're bringing something net new to the market that isn't without its look. We're in a world where we're, we've brought something net new to the market in the Pilatus world, and you know, they've got some more challenges. They're they're bringing in a product, uh, you know, to the market that has an unproven engine, right. you know, and and so I, I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I'm just saying it's it's an extra layer of challenge. Yeah, with 3D um, printable parts. <laughs> Uh, you know, and so, you know, I'm not smart enough to talk about that topic, oh, but you don't it's, have to, uh, no, I was just making, yeah. pointing it out that that's the
0: the whole sh- bang on that airplane or that engine is that you can 3d print apart when it
1: fails. So it's like, okay.
0: Interesting. Right.
1: <laughs> right. That's interesting. You know? And so uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I think they're a little ways off still. Um, you know, I think you're going to see their sort of push be, Hey, stay in the family type of thing. Mm hmm. Um, you know, and, 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 and we're, you know, our, our goal is not to talk bad about them as a manufacturer, or as a product. I think it's just to continue, um, educating people about the, the virtues and the versatility of the PC 12, because in my opinion today, I mean, there is no other airplane like it.
0: No, there's not. I mean, it can do everything a King Air can do at half the cost. So it's pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, the direct operating cost is, is absolutely one of the reasons that, that people, uh, that people look at it. I mean, when you can fly around for 600 bucks an hour, that's, that's pretty unique.
0: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And I think we're at 270, our fuel burn would be like 270 pounds per hour. And that was just like crazy. It's like we're sipping on gas up here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, you know, I would fly from all into duty day. I'd fly from Northeast Ohio. One time I picked up freight in Trenton, New Jersey, fuel stop in Nashville. Flew to Laredo, Texas to clear customs and then flew down to Saltillo, which is about another hour flight in Mexico and then flew back all in a duty day, all in like, I don't know, nine hours, which it might, that sounds like a long time, but if you put that on four flight, you see the mileage recovered. It's pretty crazy. I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty wild. Yeah, it's crazy. We uh, we used and abused those airplanes and I'm glad that they were built the way that they are because they could take it. <laughs> right? Like, And and it didn't know that you were trying to abuse it. No, it was just chilling. It was like, all right, cool. Let's go. Where do you want to go yeah, next? Ne- it's like, all right, next. Yeah, right, yeah, let's they, do it. next. So yeah. you said that you have a kind of a cool story about flying in a PC-12. And I remember you kind of briefly touching on it when we were at Oshkosh about how, didn't you have to cross the pond in one?
1: Yeah. I mean, that that is absolutely a bucket list experience yeah. for me. Um we had a a customer in Canada who um I was helping buy uh, or find a a pre-owned PC 12NG for and the one that uh identified for him the best option was uh located in Germany. And, you know, and, and and, that's the whole thing with our business is, you know, while I'm based in in Toronto and we're the Pilottest dealer in Canada. Um, you know, whether it's us helping people find airplanes to acquire, whether it's a PC twelve or a citation or a Gulfstream, whatever it is, I mean, aviation is a it's a global industry. And so, you know, we're not, I'm not just looking for airplanes in Canada um to buy for a customer of mine. And so this one we found in Germany and uh, the pre-purchase inspection of that airplane was done at the factory in Switzerland in Stanz. And so myself and, um, and the chief pilot and demonstration pilot at Levero at the time, we went over, um, to Europe to go, uh, for <laughs> you, got yeah. go over to Europe. Gosh, darn it. I guess I'll go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a business trip. Yeah. So <laughs> the, uh, so we went there and did that. And so, we, uh, we land in Switzerland. We went to the factory, uh, to, uh, just do a quick once over the airplane. And then we did the, the, the test flight portion of it, you know, in, in any pre-owned aircraft acquisition or, or generally aircraft acquisition. Um, there's going to be a, a test flight portion, um, to that purchase. And so that portion we did, um, going from the factory to Germany, um, just transactionally, we had to close that airplane in Germany and so we landed in germany uh finished everything up and uh then it was time to get that airplane back to canada and um you know and i got to got to be part of that and that was that was so much fun i mean look i give all the credit to uh to that crossing to to the captain that was flying and i mean i was i was very much a passenger in that yeah. experience and I, <laughs> I i you know he had done a, a bunch of these and was very experienced in it i mean i i was there to more than anything, video document a little bit and just sort of, like I said, soak it in. Right. Right. And so, you know, and and learn along the way. And I learned a ton and, uh, but it was awesome. And so we, so that airplane, we left Dusseldorf, uh, Germany, and then we went to, uh, Wick, uh, Scotland, which is at the very sort of Northern tip of the highlands there. Mm -hmm. And we land in Wick and there's, I, I can't remember what the name of the, that airplane show was, but there was some airplane TV show where it's talking about, you know, the different crossings and it had this one FBO guy that it featured on the show. And he's yeah, it's a little out there. Um, uh, <laughs> and it's, it's the guy at, uh, at Wick, and no what way. he, and what he, what he does is he rents you, you know, your survival suits, so your oceanic survival suits and a raft, et cetera, if you want. Cause you know, we, we, in crossing the pond, you know, it's totally safe to do, yeah. but, you know, we have to make sure we have the correct equipment on board. Especially and, when you only have one engine. Well, there you go. I mean, that airplane doesn't know it's over water, right? right? And so it's, uh, you know, so we go there to Wick and we get a raft and we, we have our oceanic survival suits. And in Europe, um, I mean, look, and I, I say this very much as an amateur, but in Europe, when you file your flight plan um, differently than in North America, in Europe, you sort of give your plan to the people at the FBO mm-hmm. and they file it. And so we give, you know, all our info to this guy and I can't remember his name. I think it might be Andy, but we give it to him. And, you know, in WIC we're in this, I call it a terminal building. It's just like wooden, as I remembered a wooden <laughs> building. It's all from world war two. You know, the hangars are all world war two hangars. That airport I think was a spitfire and hurricane, um, base, and the airplane that in someone on your podcast is going to correct me, but I think it was a hurricane that spotted the Bismarck. Oh, cool! Uh, launched from that airbase. Oh, wow! And still pillboxes there. Like it's it's. I wish I would have spent more time there. Like yeah. it's it was really cool to see. Um, and so we give him our flight plan, and he takes about three steps and turns around, and uh, you know, I'm here <laughs> beep beep beep. You know. <laughs> Yeah, we're thinking, what's, we're looking at each other, like, what do we do wrong here? And, um, the, what we had filed was to go, uh, from there to, uh, Reykjavik, from Reykjavik to a in Canada, the old Frobisher Bay. Um, and then eventually to, we we're going to take the airplane to Lavero headquarters in Thunder Bay. And because the raft had a compressed gas component. To the to to the assembly, Mm -hmm. Um, I guess in shipping with you know the FedExes and purelators of the world, it's considered dangerous goods because of the compressed gas so it's really tough for him to get his stuff back uh, in a timely manner and so he you know through some colorful conversation uh, let us know that if we wanted to take his stuff his survival equipment we would have to go to Goose Bay Labrador in in Canada as our um, you know drop off point that was not what we had planned Um, it had a little bit more open water flying than we had planned Um, you know and when you're crossing the pond and last minute you get to that you know what you're not doing what you had planned for for the last several weeks you have to do something different you know you come down to okay we need to now map this out to see one can we do this can we do it safely and is it the right thing to do for us right and so again, I defer all of that to, to our captain that was flying, John, and, and he, um, you know, to his credit, he's, this stuff doesn't face him and he's a professional and plotted it out and said, listen, it's, it's totally doable and totally safe. Are you okay with it? And, I, you know, of course I said, look, I, I trust you implicitly and let's go. And so. We launched from there uh, to Reykjavik, and you know, as you're as you're sort of leaving the uh, the European coast, you're you know you're looking down, you see ships and oil rigs and you know whatever it may be, <laughs> and slowly you start to not see anything. Uh... <laughs> you're going, yeah, uh is right. Uh... And so you're going like, all right, I am yeah, above the ocean. So and we're doing this, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. Like we're committed now at this yeah. point. And so, you know, long story short, we landed in Reykjavik and, you know, do our thing there. And next step after that was Narsarswak, uh, Greenland. Oh, what? <laughs> right. Never. I mean, you hit it on the head. Never in my life had I ever thought that my day to day or my job or my just travel life would ever bring me to Greenland. It just, it wasn't on the radar. Um, was it green? I've always heard it's not green. So Iceland is green. Greenland is icy. Of course. Right? It so makes, sense. 100% right, makes sense. hundred percent makes sense. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and I will say, and, and I've got, I, I've got to do this. I've got the GoPro footage and photos and all that stuff. I've got it somewhere I need to put together a little bit of a video of our crossing. I mean, it's going to be amateur hour big time, but I need to put that together because that approach into Narsars walk through the fjords and, and you know, the, the glaciers and the glacial, um, you know, rivers and whatnot. Holy moly, was that beautiful. I mean that was that was one of the most beautiful sights I'd ever seen. Um, I I want to go back to Greenland, you know, and spend a little time, you know, touring around there. Um, it, it was just just beautiful, very remote, <laughs> very isolated. Yeah, just a little bit, you know. And so that airstrip in our Sarswak was, you know, very much um, purpose built for World War Two and airplanes going over. It's it's now very commonly a, a ferry uh you know for those ferrying airplanes across mm-hmm. the pond it's a common, you know that's generally what it's used for i mean there is some some local i think dash eight traffic uh through there but it's it's one that ferry pilots use a lot um and so you know we landed there and, and and spent a little time and then uh from there landed in our first north american point of entry was uh goose bay labrador mm-hmm. um which is you know a civilian and a military air base there and then from there was then off to Thunder Bay and, and Goose to Thunder Bay was actually our longest leg. Oh, was it really? Um, wow. It's just, you forget how large Canada yeah. is land-wise. I mean, it's from a from a size standpoint, it's the second biggest country in the world. Mm. Uh, and you forget about that because, you know, 90-something percent of our population lives within, what is it, 100 miles of the U.S. border. Yeah. Uh, so crazy. you forget about, you don't, don't sort of, you forget about the stuff up north a little bit. And, um, uh, I'll tell you what. I mean, it's, it, it's beautiful. It's picturesque. I've gotten a lot of time to, you know, I've had a lot of flying, you know, that PC 12 has taken me to, to, to cities and towns and villages and, and outposts in Canada that I never would have ever gotten to see in my life if it wasn't for the PC 12. Um, and so I, I'm ultimately thankful for that. And yeah, and so we drop off that airplane, uh, in Thunder Bay, uh, and that's the end of our pond crossing story. Awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I missed out a lot of details along the way, but it was, it was an <laughs> awesome experience. That's um, awesome. You know, I'd, I'd like to say I, I want to do it again. I, I don't know time-wise when that could be, but yeah. it was it, it was an awesome, awesome experience.
0: That's cool. You got that on me. I've never done a pond crossing before. I've flown to Bermuda. I've flown to Barbados. So I've flown over the ocean, but never to uh, go to Europe. So you have that on me. So that's exciting. <sighs> Well, I, I think uh, <laughs> pilot-wise, you've got a lot of stuff on me. So. <laughs> hey, man, I'm trying to give you a victory, all right? <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take it. That's funny. Well, cool. I'll do a little quick rapid-fire section real quick, if you don't mind. I honestly don't know what I'm going to ask, but we'll see where it goes. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right, cool. Are you an iPhone or an Android guy? iPhone. All right. If you had to choose one airline to fly on, business class
1: all the way across the world, what would it be? Oh, man. Um from an experience standpoint, I, I'll tell you what: for working in the industry and 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 traveling a bunch, I, I haven't traveled a lot of those sort of high-end international carriers. I mm-hmm. mean, I'm, most of my traveling is on Air Canada, to be quite honest. Um, but you know, you hear the, the the Emirates and those similar airlines to fly in those you know bedrooms, the flying bedrooms there. I that'd mean, be that, crazy, that's an awesome experience. Uh, I think that'd be pretty cool. All right, you're
0: in the airport, you're traveling, you need to grab some food. What's your go-to airport food?
1: Oh man, <laughs> my uh, my go-to airport food. I mean, it's going to sound a little goofy. I like to have, traveling so much, you, you get to have some of the perks. And one of the ones I'm, I'm really fortunate about is getting to go into the, uh, the lounges, the airline lounges. Mm-hmm. I just like to go have a soup. I mean I'm I'm old school like that. I go and I I have a, a minestrone soup or a chicken noodle soup. That's that's kind of my go-to amount. If I mean if I'm in Charlotte, there's a good barbecue joint there. There you go. Uh, my hometown. Um, there you go. So it's uh, yeah, awesome. every airport's got a couple different ones. Yeah,
0: they do. Mine's Chick-fil-A. If I ever see a Chick-fil-A, I'm always there. Yeah, uh, there you go. It's very very basic, but it's what I love. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. All right. So let's see what else we got here. Um What is your – oh, how about this? This is kind of a basketball question. Give me three Mm -hmm. reasons why Kemba Walker is better than Kyle Lowry. (laughs) (laughs) Kyle Lowry is better than Kemba Walker. I know. I was thinking you (laughs) said (laughs) it. Agree to disagree. Kemba Walker is the best point guard in the East minus Kyrie Irving. Uh, we we <laughs> politely agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right, here, let's keep going. What is your favorite airline livery outside of Air Canada? Because I figured you're probably going to say Air Canada's new one.
1: Uh, old school, metallic American airlines. Okay, there you go.
0: I like that one too. I um, grew up in Charlotte, so all I saw was US Airways. So the US <laughs> Airways one always kind of grew on me. And then I like the new American one too. I like the flag on the back of the tail. I think it looks pretty good. I could, yeah, it is a nice one. What's your favorite airline to fly? Is it Air Canada? Mm-hmm. Cause you're, cause you do it so often.
1: I do it so often and you know, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the perks and the lounges and all that stuff. And I'll tell you what, it's, uh, they're, they're pretty friendly. It's, they've got great coverage, you know, anywhere I need to get to, it's, it's generally an option through them. Would you rather
0: fly the PC 12 on a trip or be flown on a PC 12 on a trip?
1: Uh, great question. I can tell you, I am not checked out on the PC 12 perfect so world right this, you are checked uh, out on the pc i answered this way i my goal is to get checked out on the pc12 and fl- and fly that pc12 on a trip nice okay cool would you rather the back sitting in the back right yeah. i mean that's you can do that on any airplane All right
0: would you rather let's see you have you have to go somewhere crazy and you need to take a private jet or a pc12 what would be your dream aircraft to take where are we going uh tahiti Whew. or bora bora whatever but just think the pc12 can make it there nonstop. everything's the same just what plane would you want
1: to be on uh i i've got a bit of a bucket list item i want to do an around the world trip in a pc12 okay that'd be cool uh, amelia Earhart. uh i mean just like that yeah. you know it's i mean i think she's had a cool one there's um the uh, the current president of Popa, the Pilatus Owners and Pilots Association. Uh, I'm not sure if he's finished it, but before the holidays, he had started, I think, his third around the world trip in a PC12. Well, if he needs
0: uh, a co-pilot, let him know. I got a couple thousand hours in a PC12.
1: There you go, <laughs> man. I, yeah. I you know that's that that for sure is a bucket list item. Right. I mean, look, you're, you you talk about you know the, the the Falcons and the Gulf Streams. I mean, yeah, I mean it'd be fun to fly on those, but at, at a certain point, I mean, it's they're a little bit uh similar in right. that sense from an adventure standpoint yeah around the world in the pc12 would be awesome that'd be cool
0: what's your favorite airport in canada that you've flown to uh,
1: or outpost since you said you go to weird places too <laughs> so there was we landed a pc12 in camsack saskatchewan oh cool and, definitely and heard it, of that yeah <laughs> you definitely have not yeah. <laughs> Uh, It's one of those airports where when you land, well, there's no taxiway, there's no turnaround area. It's you land. When we landed, there were pickup trucks that stopped at the end of the runway on the road, and to take pictures of us. They said that this is the biggest airplane that has landed at this airport since the Queen of England was there in like the seventies. Oh my (laughs) gosh! So, so yeah, so that was. I mean, that was an interesting experience. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, there's, I mean, there's all, there's different airports. I mean, we landed in, uh, in Pemberton, which is, you know, kind of the closest airport to Whistler, um, in the, in British Columbia near Vancouver, um, uh, ski resort area in the Rocky Mountains there. I mean, so that was, that was interesting, you know, and just navigating, you know, low level the Rockies to get there. Um, our SARS walk was unbelievably beautiful. Uh, well, I could probably go on. That's awesome. I think you named
0: a good amount. (laughs) That's pretty cool. I have one more rapid fire question for you. What is your least favorite? Actually, have two more. What is your least favorite airline?
1: Oh, man, I can't do that. Because you know what's going to happen? I'm going to say it, and then they're going to hear it, and they're going to bounce me off some flight where I need to get somewhere. No, that's,
0: I, that's you thinking that airlines actually listen to my podcast. <laughs> I'll tell you what, when
1: you get to 60,000, everyone's going to be listening right. to your podcast. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's airline-wise. I mean, I think it's I, – I will say any airline that sort of doesn't pay attention to their – to the interior experience to customers. I I think what they, uh, and I know you've got your hate on for a certain model out there, but, uh, I, uh, I I would say that I I think airlines sometimes lose sight of that customer experience. Um, and they don't take into account how many nervous travelers, uh, fly on their airplanes. And I'll, I'll I'll give you that core, you know, that sort of specific reasoning is, uh, From a comfort standpoint, and I can, I can say this when, you know, from personal family relatability, like my mom is, is um, not, she's a very nervous flyer. And so if you get onto an airplane where the, the table tray is busted (laughs) or like something from the overhead panel is hanging or, you know, the window shutter doesn't work or the seats or the cushion has fallen off, you know, it's stuff that absolutely does not affect the safety of the airplane or the flyability of that airplane or anything like that. But the perception to somebody who then sits in and says this thing is falling apart. Is very real, and I yeah. think airlines miss the point on that a lot. Um, I have a bunch of friends that work in the airline industry, so just from a helping standpoint, I try and sort of take photos and send that to them because right. you know that's it doesn't bother me, but I know that it bothers people around me that are might be nervous, and so you know no one should be nervous in an airplane because it's it's ultimately very safe. Exactly. So, which airline do I? I I would say the ones that don't pay enough attention to the to the customer experience. Gotcha. That's a good answer. I can, I can dig that
0: answer. And last one is what is, and as you know, I don't like the Piaggio. I have for no reason whatsoever. I think it's ugly. It's probably the best plane ever, but I just don't know. But anyways, preface it with that. What is the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Oh man.
1: Uh, ugliest. Yeah. There are some pretty ugly paint schemes out there. Yeah. You got that right. Uh, some of them are on my favorite airplanes too, <laughs> but uh, oh man! I mean, I I'll say this: I I think when in the ultralight world, those flying lawnmower versions of ultralights scare me. Yeah, I'm, I don't really want to get in one of those. <laughs> so I I I mean I'm I'm gonna for lack of a better answer I'm gonna I'm gonna pull those generally into the- <laughs> sounds good. Well, Stan, those are all the questions
0: I have for you. Uh, is there anything else you want to touch on or add to the to the podcast at all?
1: No, oh, man, this was an awesome experience. It's the Good. it's the first podcast interview I've ever done, and the first I many. Hey, I appreciate you having me on, no and uh, it was a lot of fun. Good man,
0: I'm glad you enjoyed. Um, yeah, I I enjoyed talking to you, and I think it's cool to show that you can have dreams of wanting to be an Air Canada heavy pilot, making millions of dollars. And then kind of going back and be like, Hey, I don't know if I want to do this and still finding a good career in aviation. So I really do think that people are going to listen to this and kind of just open their eyes a little bit, that there's more than just flying and maybe it'll save someone from getting burnout in the actual flying aspect of it. And they can find a role in sales or marketing or whatever they want.
1: Totally. And, and, and I, you know, I'm a living proof that you can, you can pivot within the industry. And and if anyone's ever got any questions uh, about getting into it or about, you know, switching sort of focus within the industry. I mean, they can reach out to you through me or, you know, to me through you or through my Instagram, whatever it may be. I'm, I'm always happy to talk to people about that kind of stuff. I got a lot of time for that.
0: Perfect. Well, sounds good, man. I appreciate having you on and thanks again, man. I uh, look forward to this coming out.
1: Thanks, Justin. Have a great day, man. You too. See ya. See See you, buddy.
0: Aviation, that is a wrap of episode number 52. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And like I said earlier, if you did enjoy it, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check out our website, pilot Email me at pilot at gmo.com and check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pilot to pilot Happy flying, Aviation.